Welcome to Free Worlds Podcast, Episode 5. This is a redone episode. When I came to listen to these podcasts, uh, many years after they were first recorded, I found a few really didn't stand the test of time at all. And so I decided, so I could at least keep the numbers in sequential order, to re-record some. Uh, so this recording is happening some 13 or 14 years after the original recording, which was just a ramble about Sacred Hoop magazine, to be honest, and really wasn't exciting or interesting in the slightest. So to replace the original podcast... This time, I'm going to put on an interview with a Native American medicine person called Marcellus Bearheart Williams. Now, Marcellus Bearheart, as he was called, Bearheart, uh, was born in Oklahoma in 1918 and he died in 2008. I never met him, um, but uh, he was uh, a sort of friend and knockabout uh, with Sunbear. Uh, Sunbear was one of my teachers. So I've known about Bearheart for about 30 years and I have various tapes of him talking. And this is an interview done a few years before he died. He was a Muscogee Creek medicine person trained in the traditional ways of his people. And this is just a short interview. It's only around 20 minutes or so. But it's a lot better than me rambling on about Sacred Hoop magazine. So I hope you enjoy it. All right. Yeah, tell, me, tell me, what is it you do? What, what is the, the kind of profession you're in? What is it you're all about? <laughs> oh, you might call it a profession or a vocation or whatever it is, but... It's a way of life, of uh, living with people and seeing to their well-being, whether it's mentally, physically, or otherwise. Try to make people feel good. How do you do it? Oh, there are many ways of making you feel good, you know, like I, I speak to uh, Kiwanis clubs and Chamber of Commerce and... Uh, but in your role as a medicine man, yeah, how does one go about administering to the needs of people. It's, uh, it's according to the repertoire of techniques that you have to fit the situation. Sometimes you might have to use herbs, sometimes barks and leaves, or just a chant, or you might have to touch somewhere on the body and or remove some foreign object from the body. And... Uh, there are many, many techniques, you know, using live coals, fans, and use cedar, sage, or sweet grass to fan people off, and, and or maybe they just need a certain kind of uh, conversation to change certain attitudes they carry around. And uh, it just depends on the kind of needs that each, each person has. You have something that fits that need. So that's what, that's what you do, you know. Let me ask you, what did, what did you do up in Colorado? What was that all about? Uh, they asked me to uh, open the ski season for them weather-wise, and so I told them that I would appeal to the Great Spirit for the kind of weather they wanted. And so I went through my 
special ceremony that I have in order to communicate to the Great Spirit. And the results was the way they wanted it. I hope they still want it. I think it's still snowing yet. <laughs> Did you make it snow? I didn't. I didn't make anything. I just made an appeal. I, I can't make anything. I don't take credit for whatever the Great Spirit does. But I give credit to my teachers that taught me certain ways to do it, and and it's my job to uh, be honest with the trust they gave me by entrusting certain powers, knowledge of these things that I dispense from time to time. I have never, never done anything snow-wise before. This was my first time. And yet uh, it didn't bother me. I didn't worry about it. I just knew that it would, it was going to be that way. So I just went over there and did my thing and came back. You were you were confident it was going to snow. Yes, uh, not in myself. I'm confident in the one that provides snow, provides all weather. And who's that? And that's the Creator. You know, he's never made uh, any failures. And uh, if there I had any doubts, why well, that would have been within me. But I don't doubt his ability. So, so your role in that is is just communicating a wish. I'm from sort of a mediator, but there are certain ways that you employ to do these things, and that's where the sacred things come into play. And I don't play around with it and just use it, just and abuse it. I've had calls from after that incident. I had calls from different states. But I'm not really in that business. I'm not. In fact, I didn't. You're not a weatherman. I'm not a weatherman, and and I wasn't after publicity either. I, I don't advertise myself. I don't. I don't say I'm a big medicine man and go around doing this and that. I, I don't call myself a healer. I'm not a healer, and uh, people can call me medicine man if they want to, but I don't go around calling myself that. A lot of people maybe would see that and think, you know, in this day and age when you've got. You've got religious leaders getting found for taking money from somebody, or or embezzling this or embezzling that. You know, mm -hmm. you got. I think people doubt religious figures or people with certain. You know, yeah. seem to have certain powers. You're not like that. Well, I, I don't like to compare myself with anyone Excuse else. Me, just, I, one, just one Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't like to compare myself with anyone else, and, uh, or if they're in the healing arts. I'm not in competition with anyone. As long as they help people, that's okay with me. If I'm asked to help, then I do my thing. I don't. Uh, it's not our business to judge one another and to point a finger of scorn at one another. Our teaching, traditionally, they used to say, never point a finger of scorn at your fellow men. When you do that, there's three of them pointing back at you. You might be three times worse than the one you're pointing at, so be careful. <laughs> That's part of our teachings. You say, you know, that you possess powers. Tell me what they were. Can you, I don't, do those translate? I Tell take me what care of powers. I'm a caretaker. I don't possess. It's not mine. I'm just handling it till the need comes, and I dispense it to fit that particular need, and that's about it.
the. Uh, you say you're not a healer, but no. you can be called in and you can help people. Well, uh, I would rather be referred to as a spiritual leader. That that's that covers a lot of things. And the uh, creator that I believe in is the one that heals. He's the one that created. He's the one that makes it. He's the one that gives life to us. And so that's, he's the only one that empowered and can heal. And so that's why I don't take credit for healing that's done. I just thank the Great Spirit for his, you know, healing certain people and or providing that, certain weather. Yeah, or providing certain weather. I gave thanks after I came back. And after I made my trip home safely and and uh, gave thanks in my own private way, you know. And <clears throat> uh, I've been taught to always say thank you, you know, for for everything. Even when in adverse conditions, maybe you got sick and almost died, they say, be grateful. And they say, why? If you're going to help somebody that's sick and you've never been sick before, how can you have compassion unless you've, been, you've had that experience? Then you can go and you know how that person feels. So it's not just a matter of technique alone. It's the rapport that you gain through the caring of your very being into the life of this person and you maintain a certain relationship there as you dispense with these other things. How does one go about becoming a medicine man? There are many, many techniques, many, many tribes, different uh, techniques are involved. And How did you become a medicine man? I was chosen. I didn't choose to be one. and I never asked anyone. But the two elders of my tribe, one came to me and offered to teach me his ways, and I accepted. And a little later on, another one came. And between the two, I trained for 14 years to learn what I know now. And it's not complete. There's many, many things yet to be learned. And, but both of them are gone on. And so what's left for me to do is to do my own thing. Where did they get it? They fasted, they communicated directly. So that's what I need to do, is to do a lot of fasting and communicating to find out a lot of things. We didn't have as near as many diseases among our group until the population increased and different cultures coming in and new illnesses, new sicknesses caused by different things. And if uh, we're not like the ones, you know, if we don't know anything, what's ailing you, we call it a virus. <laughs> Uh, or you hear it called a virus. We, we don't go around doing that. We try to learn what, what causes this. We try to treat the cause, not the effect. What's the difference between what you do and what the modern-day doctor does? Uh, the doctors will ask for your symptoms. And how have you been feeling and what, what seems to be you know, wrong with you at what times and so on. First, we, we try to determine whether your illness is psychosomatic or a real physical thing that's going wrong with you. Then we uh, gain a rapport with that inner consciousness of the client 
And then we tell the client what's wrong with them. We don't ask for symptoms. And there's the difference. And the MD will ask what's wrong with you and things like that. We tell them what's wrong with you without asking. Could, could modern-day doctors learn something from you? Oh, yeah. Anyone can to learn to communicate in that way. Yeah, no. I want to take a step back. Tell me about, you know, you, you told us about the incident where, where you were being tested as a young man. Tell me about the snake incident, if you would, one more time. Uh, the the uh, snake medicine, uh, that's where it comes in handy, you know, and I'm, I, I'm not at liberty to tell you just in what way it can be used, but uh, a snake seemed to have a hypnotic effect. You're walking along and see a snake, all of a sudden you kind of, it startles you. And, and it, it kind of sends chills through your body and hair stand on your back. And, and, you, and you don't really react by jumping or running or whatever. You just stay there. It, it has that kind of an effect on you. And that's part of it. And I was taught this song. And uh, to test the power of that song, the, uh, my teacher said, I want you to come on your third day of fasting. So I went over there, and he took me out in the country, and, and then he had me take my shoes and socks off. And he carried them on around and said, come straight to me after the fourth time that I began that same song then start coming over, and I went over the little hill, and down below was a lot of rattlesnakes, and they were just uh, out, ready to strike at any time. But I kept singing, kept singing. And towards the end was the biggest rattlesnake I had ever seen. He said, now I want you to pat him four times on the head before you come up. So that's what I did, pat him four times. That's to break the kind of trance that I had placed on those snakes with that song so that it would revert back normally and the trance will not, you know, will be broken. That was a test you must have passed. That was a test. Yeah, I, I must have because I'm still here. <laughs> What's, tell me what, uh, what medicine men, you know, I think, I think most people look at this and think, what kind of role could they fill in modern day society? What do you do here? I mean, what's, what kind of role do you see for yourself in modern day society? Uh, first, um, I am a, a father, a husband, and a, and a grandfather. And then I have an extended family of people through our Indian way of adoption. I have many relatives all over the countryside. I uh, look at myself as a spiritual leader rather than some big uh, sounding name like a medicine man and so on. I, I, I hate to look at myself as a medicine man. I don't make medicine. The medicine's already here in how we use it, uh, take care of it. And there are a lot of people that would like to be called a medicine man. And there's a supermarket type of training that they do. They pay you so much, and, and somebody tells them, now you can, you're a medicine man, without ever going through the kind of testing that I've gone through in our traditional way. But I don't say anything. I, if, if that's their way of life, okay. But 
I go around with a, a concern in my heart for people to be aware that each person has something great to offer, something good, something positive. And from the smallest infant to the oldest person, I, I look at them as a human being that our Creator made. I don't care what color, they have life within. And I try to live in such a way that I can enhance within that person the, the desire to do their very best in whatever it is that they do. What could, what can we learn from what, I mean, what could modern day society, what lesson could they take away from what the kind of life you lead and the kind of stuff you practice? I think to take time out once in a while in this dog-eat-dog -dog world with a helicoptic type of society going around in circles at a fast pace. And, uh, you know, we just had an election, you know, we, so right now, hang on, hang on. We got problems right now. Election year. Yeah, I want you to pick that up in just a second. Hang on. You rolling? Tell me about that. We just had an election, you know, and, and uh, I guess we have a new president coming in January. And I don't like to see our country has gone to the dogs. I guess we've gone to the bushes right now. <laughs> uh, they asked me about the election before the voting day. I said, I'm not really a politician, but uh, uh, talking about quail, I, I'm from Oklahoma, and uh, I know that quail usually hide in the bush. <laughs> so maybe that's what happened. I don't know what happened, but what I'm getting at is this. We are easy to be critical of our president. When I first visited Washington, D.C. for the first time, I got to see the President of the United States, Harry S. Truman. I was supposed to be in there about 10 minutes, and I was in there 22 minutes, and I had a prayer with him before I left. It's one thing to criticize, one thing to present an alternative, something better. But those that criticize the President, I don't care who it is, without ever praying for them, what right do they have to be critical? If you have a prayer interest in that person. So while I stood in that Oval Office, I suddenly realized that it's not really the individual alone that I pray for. I pray for the office that he represents. Every signature, signature that he puts on a document represents me as a citizen for the good of our country. Why cannot I ask the great power of all powers, the Creator, to imbue His wisdom into the leader of our country and the leaders of other countries so that they might tolerate one another? And then when you hear about little countries fighting one another, then my heart goes out to those little boys and girls who were made orphans overnight. Who will take care of them? Who will love them? Who will feed them? Those are some of the things that I think about when I live. I live as part of the total of all living things, and, and I strive to, even in, in a little uh, sweat lodge, I think about these things from way off, because that sweat lodge represents this tiny universe, and I sit in there and as I pray, I include a lot of things 
in the universe. And even the fire that we had, the trees, they have life-giving substance behind its bark. And they were being destroyed. And I even sent a prayer over there. It's going to take a long time to rebuild. And there are many, many things that, uh, positive things that, that fills our whole day. Sometimes I, I see a drunken Indian passed out lying in an alley downtown Albuquerque. As I pass by, I don't know who that person is, but I send a prayer that that life might not be totally lost, that something good within him might be salvaged, that one day he might learn to be a contributing factor rather than a drain on society. So things like that, I, I shoot out little love, little concern everywhere I go, in the airport, on the plane, wherever. I keep this, keep, keep this in mind at all times. I keep this, keep, keep this in mind at all times. What do you see for, you know, I mean, the way things are going now in the, in the world, I think a lot of people are frustrated and giving up. They feel like you've got no control over it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. What is that? How does that make you feel? I mean, do you ever get discouraged? <laughs> it's, uh, it's a repeat of past history. You know, you, people lived and moved and so on. Among my own people, we were moved from what is now Georgia and Alabama by force. Our people walked with soldiers driving them on horseback. And they came to the Mississippi River and they purposely overloaded 12 ferry boats and many of them sank and many of our people died in the crossing of the Mississippi. Then they came to Indian Territory, which later became Oklahoma. My great-grandmother was on that march. It was cold, she had no shoes, and her feet froze and probably gangrene set in. She, she's one of the many, many hundreds of graves there in Fort Gibson, Oklahoma, with no name on the markers, just a cross. That's where she, she li lives, I mean, that's where she lies. And when you talk about some injustices about somebody else, but when it comes down to you, your flesh and blood, where she was forced to undergo this, then I could have taken the other side and become very angry and carried this anger for a long time. But later in life, I knew about this great love that the Creator had for all of His creative things. And to appropriate that love within yourself through your own faith and belief, then it's easier to have that universal love that crosses many cultural boundaries, many religious boundaries, from for which some of my uh, uh, denominational brothers have criti been critical of, of me working in different areas. I've been to a synagogue, to a mass, Pentecostal, uh, little Baptist church over in the country somewhere, and, and Methodist church over here, and. Uh, people are people, and how how is heaven divided up anyway? Is there a, just a little place for Baptist people over here and Methodists over here, or uh, where did the word denomination come from? It's an 
it's an expression, an interpretation of the Bible as they read it and as they, as they look upon it. Pentecostal, they had a Pentecostal feast 50 days after the feast of the Passover, the Pentecostal, and that's where the denomination bases its denominational name. We can go on and on and on, and yet we have a universal God, one God, one creator, one wisdom, one energy. And so uh, it doesn't matter to me what people believe in as long as they are made aware that he is still here. What do you say to people who look at you and think, you know, here's just one more guy, showman, phony religious man who's up, you know, uh, mm -hmm. claiming to do this and claiming to do that. You see, mm -hmm. the, the news reports are full of people mm -hmm. doing just that thing, and I think most people are skeptical about it. Yes. What do you say that people think you're a phony? To, to, what do you say to people who, who think uh, you're a phony? I respect their, they have every right to believe what they want to believe. That's their bag of tea, okay, and, and it's their problem, not mine. The Chinese had a saying, as long as you stand straight, you never need to fear a crooked shadow. So I just go on. That's their problem. I don't retaliate or anything. It's just, if you believe that way, go ahead and believe that way. And I'm, not, I'm, not about, I'm not here to change people's minds or attitudes. And if, if it pleases them to think that way, let them think any way they want to. I go my way and I do my thing, and, and that's it. <laughs> You don't take money for what you do, do you? I will take it if it's offered to me, but I don't charge a fee in saying that I need this. Uh, I, I can always use it. Money actually is a personality. It expresses what kind of person you are when you have it and when you spend it and why. But just to amass it as an end, means to an end, then uh, it becomes your master. You must control it. So for the things that I do, when in my training, every time I went to my teacher, I never went there empty-handed. I didn't get something for nothing. It was their livelihood. I would take food, I would take money, and give it to them so that they could buy things they want, not me trying to determine this is what you need, but I would give them food to sustain their life. When you offer food in our way, they say that extends your life for another day. And when you do that to an older person, some of the blessings comes back on you also down the road. And so we always do that. There's always an exchange for our services, and it's known. So we, don't, we didn't have to charge any fees. But the non-Indians, and uh, not knowing about my tribal tradition, I had to go around and say, uh, well, it's going to cost you this for me to do this. And uh, for instance, here, here's an interview. And, uh, and there's, there was no mention of any money of any kind, and which, which is okay with me, you know. And, and I know that the cameraman and the interviewer and, and, and every personnel didn't come down here for nothing. You're not doing it for nothing. There's a, a salary, and then the organization that you represent will probably continue to be aired because it has uh, a, uh, a drawing power of some kind, you know. And, and to be in it, and I know that uh, you don't uh, go around over the country just getting something for nothing, you know, and, and yet that didn't even cross my mind, you know, and, and uh, like the uh, reporter asked me how much you're getting paid for that Colorado deal, and 
I said, uh, I know they'll pay my expenses. Beyond that, it's up to it's up to within a certain budget if they have things for such services. Uh, maybe not just exactly like the services I rendered, but something on that order. And uh, if nothing else, whatever their conscience might be in on this, I'll probably get something, you know. And they did take care of my expenses there and back, and they said I would be hearing from them. In that, there's no set amount that I am expecting or anything. They didn't say, we're going to send you this and that. They didn't tell me that. But, uh, and you don't said, worry about that? I'm not worried about it. Worrying is like sitting in a rocking chair. You can sit and rock. It gives you something to do, but doesn't get you anywhere. You can care and be concerned, but you can do something about it. So things like that I don't worry about. What, do you th what kind of lessons could we learn from what you guys do? What could modern-day society, people who live in you know, mainstream America, get from you? What would you like to see them Be first, any, any, anything that you strive begins with self and uh, self-knowledge. Know who you are. What is your identity? To what and to whom do you identify? What is very meaningful to you? The things that you want, the things that satisfies your heart. And then the next step would be self-control. That means self-discipline. There are a lot of things you'd like, but you have to control yourself because of ethics, because of the laws, moral or otherwise, and you have to stay within certain bounds and learn to live with it by uh, learning how to control. And after you have controlled, then you sort of let yourself open to communication with a higher being. You can amass a lot of knowledge. You can be a double PhD in any given situation, but if you don't have wisdom to guide that knowledge, then that knowledge alone is nothing. You can be the very best in any given field, but if you don't have the wisdom to guide it, there are many PhD people in penal institutions because they didn't have wisdom to guide their knowledge. We've got to stop for a second, guys. That's right. We've got to stop there a second, guys. We're out of tape. That dates it. Do you remember tape? Anybody remember tape? Maybe even some of you still use it. Don't get that with digital. <laughs> anyway, I hope very much that you enjoyed listening to that. And um, yeah, well, what can I say? A good interview. Um, just a few shout outs. Uh, you can email me, nick at sacredhoop.org. The magazine website is sacredhoop.org dot org forward slash offer dot html that gives you a lower price subscription and my gallery website and the home of this podcast is threeworlds.co.uk i'm in the process of putting a whole new series of podcasts together it's uh, like i say it was about 13 years or 14 years after this original podcast went out so it's now 2019, and uh, there's new ones on their way. All right, I'll see you around. Take care. Bye-bye.